This is the Open School of Business, the podcast dedicated to success by delivering insightful conversations with business experts from different walks of life. Here's your host, Anaru Musakwa, entrepreneur and a project management professional. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please leave your comments and questions, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Let's begin. Today, I have the honor to introduce you to someone who doesn't comply to labels and doesn't stop where she gets. Uh, she was an accountant and then she tried on project manager hat and now she's a president of a government contractor. Sonia Mundra is a business executive with over 15 years of experience in the fields of government contracting and finance. Sonia started out as a financial analyst in Accenture after working there for four years, she got a job at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And um, now she's a president of Chenega Analytics. It is an Alaska Native corporation, which focuses on records, IT, and training for federal government. So even though she holds her position for only about two years, she has already been awarded several awards for excellence, such as Federal Entrepreneur, Leaders Nest, Washington DC, Fed Femme, and Stevie Women in Business Female Executive of the Year Awards. So uh, welcome Sonia. Uh, I'm particularly proud of her because she is also a PMP, Project Management Professional, and worked as an IT manager like myself. And I'm very happy to see her succeed and become an executive. Hi Sonia, how are you? Hi, Anar. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm very excited to be here with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And also, I want to add that we've um, met at a conference on project management. So Sonia is also a speaker and a guest on many, many conferences. And she is also a graduate of George Washington University with Master's in Science in Accountancy. And also, she has her bachelor's degree from Georgetown. So she's um, a local uh, to Washington, D.C. area for a long time. I was wondering, to start off, uh, I'd like to ask if being a leader was something you dreamed of in your childhood, and if not, what was your dream job as a kid? You know, that's a, that's a very interesting question. No, uh, you know, I, I never pictured myself as a leader when, when I was growing up. Uh, I definitely knew from high school that I wanted to do something business oriented. I've always been very, very interested in, in business and pretty much assumed, you know, I would follow that track and I'd be managing something in the finance or accounting field, frankly, for the, for the rest of my career. To be honest, I, you know, I never thought that I would have the right personality or skill set to be an executive. That's, that's the truth. And of course, I grew up in a very, <clears throat> a different time than, than the young ladies that are, that are growing up today. And I think there's a lot more emphasis on leadership and, and encouraging women to be in STEM and to be executives and to, to think about achieving those goals. Um, and I certainly never thought that I would work in sales, but it's actually turned out to be my favorite job that I've had so far. And I've done, you know, many different types of jobs to, to get here. And uh, it's certainly good. And I, I've become very aware that it's good for all of us to see leaders in, you know, different shapes, sizes, ages, um, and colors to know that leadership is multifaceted. Especially when you have been in the business for a long time, you gain that experience and then it encourages you to go and explore more possibilities for yourself. Like you mentioned sales and, and things like that. So if you haven't tried it, you wouldn't know you're good at it. So it's encouraging to just try. So uh, what are the top big uh, three things on your plate right now as an executive, as someone who does sales, what do you focus on? Yeah, that's a that's another great question. Um, so the first, my first priority, of course, is is building up our company portfolio, and and so in the government contracting world, we we call that prime past performance. We typically would 
would build a business in government contracting using Prime Pass Performance. Um, the company Chiniga Analytic um, has just been 8A certified uh, by the Small Business Administration. Um, we recently received that certification. So it's something I'm really proud of. We had to fill out an application and there was a, it was a pretty long process, pretty rigorous um, to get 8A certified. So I'm really proud um, of the business plan that we put together. And um, in, for those that are not familiar with the government contracting world, um, having the 8A certification from SBA really gives us a vehicle to um, take all sorts of government contracts as a, as a prime, meaning we're the um, main system integrator. Um, and prior to that, we could only really be more of a subcontractor to large businesses. So um, certainly I'm busy building the business foundation and what that means, what that translates into is um, it's a very busy time right now for proposals. Um, we are neck deep in, in proposals to, to the government and um, working to what we call capture opportunities um, in, our, in our pipeline and, and prosecuting lots and lots of different types of work. So that is, of course, um, the very, very first thing uh, that is, is my top priority. Um, but of course, there's, there, there are a lot of other priorities, too, that are always competing for my attention. Um, the second thing I'm focused on is operating um, the contracts that we've already won and keeping our existing customers happy. And it's interesting because we find that most of the business that we get um, is repeat customers and happy customers. Um, so, you know, you have to be careful when you, you know, you go through all this um, work to get the contracts and then Sometimes people will kind of say, okay, I got the contract and then they might get a little complacent. It's almost like a, like a marriage, you know, you go through <laughs> that <laughs> period get and, to relax a bit. <laughs> right. And, and, but we, uh, even, even after we, we, you know, get settled down and into a committed contract, we, I always want to make sure that we are um, taking care of our existing existing customers. So it's always a balance, balancing act between pursuing new customers and um, taking care of our current customers and, and growing that portfolio through what we call organic um, growth. And the third thing, um, which, you know, you could have actually put it, I could have actually put it first, but the third thing um, is relationship building. So, and those are kind of intertwined, of course, with managing customers, existing customers, and then pursuing new business. Um, the foundation behind that is, of course, relationship building, making sure to take time to speak with important stakeholders. Um, and, and of course, we have a lot, right? And so in project management, they, you know, I think the pin box says 90% of what a project manager does is communication. So certainly that holds true when you're running a business. So I, I like to take time to sit down with important stakeholders. So not just customers, but also our internal staff members um, and executives at Chiniga, our employees, right? And, and our strategic business partners. Um, I think people always kind of crave that FaceTime. And I'll be very honest, um, it's, I wish I could give everyone a lot more of that. And it's something that I've kind of struggled with because um, a lot of people think that when you ask people, you know, about their personal lives, um, you know, to the extent that they're comfortable, of course, we never want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, but people like to talk at a personal level and things like that. So it's not a waste of time. <laughs> it's actually the most important thing um, that, that we can do. So, um, you know, I, I have started making more free space in my schedule for pop-up meetings or, you know, people should feel comfortable enough to come into my office just ad hoc without an appointment. Um, and if you're overscheduled, right, which I have definitely been in the past, um, you don't, you don't have the opportunity to do that. And then you miss out on, you miss out on things, I think, when, you, mm -hmm. when you're a little bit more overscheduled. What do you think, Anar? Uh, yes, sure. I mean, of course, leadership requires uh, for you to communicate and build that rapport with the people. So if you don't have that 
And if you're busy just executing on other things, you you definitely miss out on things. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you mentioned so many interesting venues for us to have a conversation yeah. right now. I really love the part uh, about customer retention uh, because I'm passionate about marketing and they say customer retention is your, uh, first of all, number one growth and it's the cheapest to get. Mm -hmm. And it really helps you to build more and even gain more customers. And uh, the question here is like you were saying, you do uh, customer retention mostly by building the relationship, giving them their, your best and you know, keeping that attention even though you still have uh, you know, committed uh, contracts and you seem to be going really well at it. You, you, don't, you, you try not to relax, it seems like. How do you make sure that all of your employees follow the same route? Is there a certain quality process that you follow? Uh, how do you make sure that customer retention is something that is implemented like fully aboard? Definitely. Um, so we actually just got our ISO 9001-2015 certification. Oh, great. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you for, um, you know, for quality management and for program management. So um, definitely we follow PMBOK, right? Um, and we have, make sure that we have a customer call schedule. Um, I, I do keep a customer call plan. So, um, and, and I talk with the customer and uh, I say, okay, well, how, how would you like to communicate? Do you like communicating best in person? Uh, do you like phone call? Do you like email? What, are your, what is your communication preference and how often? So I have some customers that call me every day. Wow, <laughs> they want to talk awesome. and, they would, and they want to talk every day. And I have some customers that um, only want to speak once a year. Um, and, and, and of course, most, most though I speak usually monthly um, and, and quarterly, right? So it's a combination of face-to-face. -face. I, I am a huge face-to-face person, which makes me kind of old fashioned in these days. I mean, certainly all about, you know, video calls and things like that. But when I'm meeting with somebody face to face, I, I you know, they say 90% of, of communication is nonverbal. So I can feel the energy in the room. I can feel the body language. Um, you just miss sometimes so much. Uh, over the phone. And um, especially, I always say email is the worst form of communication. I do send out quite a few emails and respond back to emails. But um, I have a three email rule, actually, is that um, if we're going back, I'm going back and forth um, yes. with somebody on something. I, if we've hit three emails, I, I pick up the phone and, uh, and I call them or if it's something, you know, just, just, and I learned that very early. I learned that the hard way, very, very early. Um, I, I must have been only 21, 22 years old. Uh, and I got lit up by a partner at Accenture. And um, my boss kind of pulled me aside. I was very upset because, um, you know, I, I had a good intentions and I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, but he was very angry. And um, my boss said, look, reading this email, I can tell you're trying to do the right thing. But he said, you need to learn to pick up the phone because people don't understand, especially in email, the tone, the intention, you need to always make sure that, that you communicate in a, in a better sort of way because sometimes on email, the conversation will tend to deteriorate. So those are some of kind of the communication. I've, I've gone off track a little bit from your question, but those are some of the communication. Yes, but this is great because yeah. you're giving advice that is a hands-on. So someone who is listening to us, they can just implement that at their workplace or their business. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's small changes and little things that you can, um, you can take into account that, you know, aren't necessarily that hard, but they're kind of best practices and, and they're my lessons learned from, <laughs> from, from communicating with so many different types of people. So um, communication, uh, customer calls, customer face-to-face uh, -face visits, especially. Um, I like to go and I'll just ask the customer for feedback. Look, how are we doing? Yeah. How are we doing? Um, what's keeping you up at night? I mean, it's a cliche, right, to ask yeah. that question, but 
Um, but so, I think yeah. even asking already does 80% of the work because mm -hmm. they know they, you care. Right. And then how you respond to that would add and would absolutely make or bring <laughs> the situation about uh, the, the issue that they're having or a concern that they're expressing. So, yeah. And I guess to follow up on this uh, and to the benefit of our audience, whoever is not familiar with the project management lingo, a project management uh, body of knowledge, the PIMBOK that Sonia just mentioned, um, it does give you a guidance in terms of what project managers should be following and what kind of strategies and what kind of tools they have and processes they can follow to implement a project. And a big part of it is again, um, managing stakeholders and they vary. And I am uh, just very uh, happy that Sonia mentioned that not only these are your customers, you have to talk to your employees as well because they're a big part of what you're doing. And uh, this is the, the quality of a true leader in my opinion, when you are looking out for the people who are implementing your projects. Um, and then uh, I think for the benefit of the small business owners, I have this question about, you just mentioned that you got certified as an 8A uh, small business, mm -hmm. which uh, gives you an opportunity to work directly with the government. So when you were not 8A yet, uh, how did you build the relationship with the larger contractors and uh, when you say customer were they this big contractors or did you talk to the uh, ultimate customer as well as this large companies yeah that's a that's a great question and to answer that i did both so i you know went to a lot of government centric and government contractor centric um events and i did a lot of networking and um following up with people and, and I did a lot of capabilities pitches. And I'll tell you at the very beginning, um, I was doing five or six a day. <laughs> when I was trying to build my business, I was doing five or six capabilities pitches a day. And so as a result, I got pretty good at it. And I got, it was actually good because I learned how to think on my feet. So um, I did a lot of cold calling. I, I did a lot of cold LinkedIn emails and it sounds so, so, crazy. But, you know, I think if you have a, if you have a good pitch um, and, and say, okay, this is what, and you have to frame it from the, 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 the sense of this is what I can do to help you, right? Rather than, because um, I have people that approach me now that we're a little bit more established. I have smaller businesses that approach me and I, I'm an open networker. So I will typically take a meeting with anybody. Um, because I work in business development, because you just don't know what you don't know until you meet that person. But um, I have a lot of folks that come to me and say, well, I need this and I need that and I need this. And that's, that's their pitch. And I'm like, um, you know, you better off focused on yes. telling us, you know, what you can do to, to help. I mean, I, at the end of the day, everyone wants to know what can I do to grow my business? Um, how can I achieve my goals, right? It's, a, it's, it's selfish, but it, but it is what it is. So um, if I'm meeting with, you know, a large contractor like North Grumman or, you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers or something like that, you know, I have to be able to quickly, very quickly and, and articulately and professionally explain how we can help them. And so, um, you know, I, I ended up getting a lot of meetings actually that way. Um, and what is your um, sort of like uh, statistics on that one mm -hmm. meeting out of how many uh, that you approach, for example? Yeah. Sometimes people just get discouraged when the rates are like really low, but I think it's quite normal. Yeah. Um, one out of 10. Mm -hmm. One out of 10 would, would respond, right? So if you so think... So if you want real 10 meetings, you got to contact at least 100 companies. Correct. Right. Correct. And so sales is a, is a funnel and I never, I never, I always try to remember that. So if I contact, you know, a thousand people, let's say a thousand people, I'll get meetings with a hundred people. Um, maybe 10 of us, 10 of them might, we might consider doing business together. 
And then maybe with one or two or three, I might end up getting an actual contract, right? So um, it's a numbers game. Yes. Yeah, it is a numbers game. It is definitely a numbers game. And you can increase your odds, though, by pitching professionally um, and, and pitching in a way that makes, makes your business attractive to, um, to potential um, partners. Were you flexible in terms of your offerings um, when you meet a client, uh, when you meet the potential client or a potential partner in terms of uh, if you see a gap in their business, you, you would think, oh, we could accommodate it. Or is it because it's not really, you're not a, a small business where you can decide, okay, we can open a new line of business like i can't really go in in that space how creative can you be at uh, chenega corporation right so chenega is is unique as an alaska native corporation we've got a lot of different capabilities um but i um like you said in the beginning you you said that chenega does records it and training right so Those that's the only thing that you can offer to anybody. generally Generally, and the reason why is because um, it's it becomes really hard to prosecute everything well, um, and I think also partners respect that when you know a lot of times people will come to me um, with opportunities, and I'll I'll tell them very honestly, I don't believe we can execute that well. I don't think we're the right partner. Um, I'm happy to give you a referral to someone else who I do know that would be a better fit for you. Um, you'd be surprised. Uh, I, I turn down a lot, a lot of opportunities because I know that they're the, not the right fit for us. And I don't see the point in taking on something if I don't believe we're going to be able to execute it properly. Um, okay. Yeah, so- um, That's a very good notion about um, the magic say, the magic word no, mm -hmm. as well as, in, as, in, as a yes, that it's very powerful. And if you learn it, even for your personal life, professional life, and as a business, if you're super focused on what you can do and you don't even think about the things you can't, then makes your life so much better and easier. Absolutely. I mean, I, as a general rule in my life, since I've been very young, I've found that I can do two, maybe three things very well. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, in my business, I can pursue three verticals very, very well and very deeply. Um, in my home and personal life, um, you know, of course I've got my, my job and then I can take on one or two other things well. Uh, and those are just the things that I focus on. I can't be everything to, to everybody. I think that's something that sometimes you see in the movies um, <laughs> you know, you see, you see these, you know, and I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just pick on, you know, sex in the city, right? So you see these, these women that have all seem to have, you know, a lot of time for their careers and their, um, personal lives and their brunches and their, their, you know, right. dating and their, and, and fashion and, shows. <laughs> and fashion show. I mean, they don't miss a beat, but that's not necessarily, I mean, that's great if you can pull it all off. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, um, that's why it's a movie. And I think right. <laughs> I, from the woman's point of view, I think you, the family, once you're not single, it becomes a bit more of a, a really big responsibility, almost a new business venture. Yeah. And uh, I would say equally, actually, for men as well. I think ma um, married men have mm -hmm. uh, so much um, of their time devoted to the family that it becomes a bit more difficult to be um, not focused about what they want and what they want to achieve in their career. So you got to be super focused. Yeah, so for me personally, like I said, my, my top three priorities in this order are my, my children, um, my marriage, and my job <laughs> in that order. So, um, so you'll notice that my job is, is, is number three. <laughs> yes, and, and this is great because it makes the person happy and a happy person can give back more. That's the notion I believe as well. Yeah, I, I, I think... Um, I'll be honest with you, being a mother has completely 
made my game, my professional game, way better. I'm a way better um, executive and, and employee and worker and leader, um, way better than I was before I had children, frankly. Um, my kids keep me very, very focused. They force me to stay focused on what I feel is important and to maximize my time. And, and, and you know, as cliche as it sounds, being a mother has made me much more empathetic uh, to, to people. Yeah, that is true. I think it's something that is worth promoting that the families, they don't really take away time from the jobs. They make you stronger and they make you more focused, like you said. And they also give a, a tremendous meaning to a life that can make you a, a much better and more successful person. Yeah, I mean, I think I get some of my best ideas um, when I'm not in the workplace, right, about work, right, because you, you need to step away um, from work, or at least I do, um, you know, and, and, and when, I, when I take some time and I fall back a little bit or on the weekend, and, and that's why they say the best ideas come in the shower. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, so it's, it's good to be um, multifaceted if you're just focused on one thing and actually it's not good for it's not good for creativity and the best leaders um i think have to be very creative yes um so uh, you were talking about um how you learn to be focused even when you're um like so uh, so early in your career you would decide like two, three, two, three things that you really love doing and those you would do well. Is it something natural to you or how did you come up with such a idea? Because there's so many people that are so like multi-talented, mm -hmm. uh, uh, they have so many hobbies, they have so many interests. How did you learn to pick a few and be good at it? Because that's something that uh, sometimes I think I struggled for a long time, but now I'm getting super focused because, I, and that's not natural to me, for example, I made myself do it because I know that's the path to success. But before, when I had more time, when I wasn't married, I definitely was pursuing a lot of things and some of them were really su successful and some of them are still, you know, as a hobby. So... I'm kind of wondering how, like, if you could guide people like that, like me, for example. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that there are definitely a lot of executives that have a ton of hobbies. And I feel a little, you know, when I hear about their hobbies, sometimes I get a little bit of, you know, okay, well, am I doing something wrong? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, like You're I said. yourself a favor, I would say. Right? <laughs> I want to learn. <laughs> um, but, I, but like I said, like those movies, um, it's a, it's, I, I just think that everybody has 24 hours in one day, right? Um, the president of the United States has 24 hours in, in one day. Um, even the most wealthy and the most influential people right? It's interesting. We're all on a, on a level playing field when it comes to time. And I find that very, very interesting because most things are not a level playing field <laughs> right, in the world. I mean, that's just a fact, right? So I didn't, I didn't create the world, but I do live in it. So, but time is, is one of those things where you can be the CEO of Chinigo Corporation. You still have only 24 hours and so do I. So uh, when I think about that, I think about, okay, well, how do I manage my time? And I want to sit down and, and reflect, self-reflect and think about well, what is, what are the three things that are the most important to me? And I want to go deep into them and, and to do them well. And so um, a lot of it was, you know, maybe I'll take on four things and, uh, or I'll keep on layering on in the past and, and, and think about, well, um, I don't, I don't feel good. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, a, I'm working at the level that I want to on these things. So that's why um, I, you know, that's, that was my personal trial and error to come up with, you know, just sit, to say I can do two or three things. Well, now um, I'm always doing, when I say that my children are a priority, I mean, that doesn't just, that consists of many, many sub levels 
right? So there's a lot of different things that you do with your children. And then when I say work is one of my priorities, I do many, many different things at work. So there's diversity within those three, you want to call them pillars, right, of mm -hmm. your life. And you can try different things within the pillars, but just make sure that whatever you're pursuing um, falls within, you know, those pillars, right? Mm -hmm. So I came so to- they ultimately bring you satisfaction to, and they also contribute to that big goal. Right. So, um, you know, my pillars aren't going to be your pillars or anybody else's pillars. And so you may say, well, I really like to go cross-country skiing, or I have a hobby that is going to be in my top three pillars, and I'm going to make that a priority, right? And, and work may not be a priority, or something else may not be a priority. Maybe your priority is your you know, having brunches, you know, with your, with your friends and nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but you've got to kind of self-reflect and think about, okay, what, what are the things that are, that are important to me? And I think if you kind of look at people, you'll see that even when they do have hobbies, it's, it's probably, it's just a matter of priorities, right? So when people right. say, I don't have time, because I used to say that a lot. I used to say, I don't have time. I've stopped saying I don't have time. Now I say, it's not my priority. Yes. See the difference? I don't want to make time for that specifically. Yeah. And, and so rather than acting like a victim that, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time. Now I just say, I, and I'm very blunt about it. I say, look, that's just not my priority right now. Or I'm unable to make time right now. So uh, yeah, I have to be pretty, pretty ruthless um, when it comes to uh, men. Yeah, I can say that um, also, yeah, in so many literature, like there's a um, uh, yes and no book. Uh, there's a book, Everything is Figureoutable by Marie Forleo just came out. They all, you know, give that advice in terms of when you empower yourself and you say that this is not my priority or this is not, I can't do it, more like I don't want to do it. Right or this is not my priority is very similar way of saying it. Mm -hmm. um, or you can say that I'm focusing on these things right now and therefore I would not be doing something else. And uh, depending on who you talk to, you would probably choose your communication style and, and figure yes. out a way. <laughs> right, exactly. say, but, I don't recommend saying that to your boss, <laughs> that it's not my priority. You know, <laughs> yes, but also I think even with your boss, if you had a, a um, agreed plan together and mm -hmm. it wasn't, if something wasn't in the plan, then you would have to go back to the plan and ask the boss if that become a priority now. Yep. Yep. What do I do with the other three? And then he will give you an answer like, okay, maybe this thing now is the new priority and you, uh, and you scratch off something else that was there and then you know where to allocate your resources. Definitely. So, yep. There is no scope creep in that sense. Right. But uh, yeah, I'm, but we're talking about in general, like this, your own vision and what you want to do. I'm, I'm mostly uh, targeting this on the people who want to have their own businesses. And it's so much more difficult because you don't have the, your boss telling you what are the priorities and then there is this risk you're going to be end up going so many different places and exploring so many different projects and ideas and waste your 24 hours <laughs> <laughs> so this is a really good like i just want to make it sink in like 24 hours everyone has only 24 hours so depending on how we spend the next 24 hours you're outcomes will be very different from mm -hmm. whoever you're comparing to. Yeah, and I, say, um, I don't want to sound overly privileged when, when I say that because I'm very aware that we don't always have a choice on how we spend our full 24 hours, right? We don't necessarily have control over every single part of that hour, right? Um, because I don't want to be too glib and say, well, you know, you're just, you're just not managing your time, right? Without understanding that we have um, to take care of loved ones, we have to take care of our family, somebody might be taking care of a, a medical, you know, somebody with a medical illness or, or something like that, where, where we don't necessarily have that, 
that choice over, over the full 24 hours, but you may only have control over maybe four or five of the 24 hours. I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. actually more realistic. So think about, you know, how can I, is there a way that I can, I can maximize or, or make sure that at least I'm spending it um, doing what's important to me? Yes, and it's very powerful because even though you have limited amount of time that you can devote yourself to and you can achieve your goals in that particular time, you can also think about the whole, like, even if you're doing something that you might not want to be doing right now, mm -hmm. you can still have your headspace and you can feel the feelings that you want to feel. Like if you're managing your mind, mm -hmm. that's like one of the sessions that I was doing at the conference was about mindfulness. So that's true. Yeah. Even if you're not in control of your time, you can still be in control of your mind. And yep. uh, it's very empowering because wherever you are, you might, you might stress yourself out that, you know, I'm not achieving this and that, or you might be content because you know this is the phase you're in mm -hmm. and it will show past too so right at some point you will have the full 24 hours hopefully so mm -hmm. there's always hope another question that is super important and um and i think uh, the answer would definitely show why you're successful is um what kind of action do you take every day mm -hmm. to make sure you're achieving your goals Yep. So I will tell you that, you know, I pretty much live and die by my calendar. Um, I keep one combined calendar uh, that includes all my work stuff, all my personal stuff with my kids, parent-teacher conferences, everything. Um, I tell everybody that works with me, if, it, if something is not on my calendar, it does not exist <laughs> in my world. So if you want me to do something, or you want me to be somewhere, or you want me to make something a priority, you've got to put it on my calendar. And so every day I look at my calendar for, for the day, the following day, the week, and, and the month. And um, it helps me stay very, very organized because if you're doing a lot of different things and meeting with a lot of different people, it's so important to stay organized. And another thing I've started doing is I reconfirm all my meetings the day prior, especially if I have to drive a long distance or something like that. Because you'd be surprised, I when I read how many people can cancel out. How many people will say, "Oh, well, yeah, actually, I, you know, oops, I have a conflict," or, um, and then you know, you you've driven you know an hour right mm -hmm. to go somewhere. So, and that's very yes. frustrating. So, and and I don't think that people necessarily do that on purpose, but they're just you know yeah, things happen. Yeah, there things happen. <laughs> um, so I always reconfirm uh meetings because like i said i would say out of the meetings that i have a decent amount get canceled by the other party probably at least sometimes 20 to 30 percent i'll have cancellations reschedules things like that and things happen so it is what it is um yeah. so that's that's the calendar and then the other thing is i try to stay really really organized with my emails um i do try to respond to all emails that that require my response of course by by the end of the day I do, um, and I get I get a lot, um, or at least within 24 hours, right? Um, uh, does that make you? Uh, does that force you to be more decisive? Like, if there is a question, mm -hmm. like, do you or do you require a meeting to discuss it more? How how do you manage to like reply? Yeah, and and sometimes where it's a question and I'm not sure of the answer, I'll flag it and I'll think about it overnight. Um, and then uh, usually, uh, you know, rather than just being reactive, I've learned to stop being so reactive to everything everybody says. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes somebody will send an email and not all emails require a response. Um, so I don't, I mean, I, re I always tell people I read all my emails. I don't respond to all my emails, but I read all my emails. Um, so I have a lot of folders within um, my Outlook. Uh, that and I file emails for, for every project, everything that I'm working on, um, mm -hmm. and so that way I know exactly where to find it. So again, I'm I'm sure that this 
advice seems a little bit elementary to, to some. Uh, it seems almost too simple, but, but it is my, my strategy. I think it's a very good advice um, for the business owners because they're always so busy with other things. And uh, sometimes they think this is required to be done when you're uh, working at a corporate level. Like whoever is working corporate level, they would do this. But somehow I, I saw a lot of small business owners where they feel like they're not big enough to be organized like that. Mm -hmm. And I think, that, I mean, personally, I think it's a mistake. You gotta be organized from day one. Right, and, and, and look. And then do you, uh, for example, do you um, block out a time where you have to work, uh, for example, on your proposals or you're preparing for a certain meeting and uh, like you need to get the work done? Do you like put it on your calendar as well? Yeah. Like yes, Sonia is working. Yes. Kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. You have had uh, such a long and successful corporate career. Now, what is your recipe? And has it changed since you've become an executive as opposed to other jobs? Yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be a hunger for learning, right? And maintaining a, a childlike curiosity, right? So that's a wonderful way, I think, in general to go through life. So even like you talked about mindfulness, even if I'm in a place that I don't necessarily want to be or if I'm away from my family, it's it's tough sometimes when you're on business trips and things like that. But um, I look at everything, even when I speak with other people who are different than I am, I look at them all as, I look at everything as a learning opportunity um, because I think people have a lot to offer and little different places can be hidden gems. Um, so I always try to go above and beyond what my role is, whatever my current role is, keep on learning, whether that's, like I said, speaking with people, um, reading books. I like to read, um, listening to podcasts, right, like yours. Because, you know, I'll tell you, my mother taught me from a very young age that no one can ever take away the knowledge inside your head. Um, people can, you know, they can, they can fire you, they can lay you off, you can lose your job, you can, you can do that. But, but the, it's really the biggest asset that we have and we take it with us. So I'm, I consider myself to be like a hairdresser. Uh, if I change salons, you know, you notice if the really good hairdressers, when they change salons, Oh, they take the whole thing. They take everybody with them. <laughs> yeah, they take everybody with them. So, um, so we're more like a hairdresser, I think, than we realize. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent uh, way to put it, because you have to always rely on your own skill uh, rather than on things that can change. Even relationship building, uh, relationships can change, and not necessarily because of you so this is an excellent advice thank you and then uh how do you motivate yourself when things are not going well yeah that's a that's a great that's a great question and especially for sales right so sales oh, yes. <laughs> is very volatile um one day you're up um then all of a sudden in a minute everything can get wiped out i mean i've i've been in situations where a contract just ended it just ended and we lost hundreds of people overnight I, and it wasn't easy. I mean, it was, and it, for me personally, I mean, it was, it was the people. I was very, yeah, we lost, you know, a contract ended. We didn't do anything wrong, but um, it was tough. We had to go in and, and let our people go. And it was very sudden. It was, it was very hard. It was very hard, but it's important, you know, and then, it ended up that, you know, the contract ended up getting reconstituted. So you just never know. You can be up, you can be down. I keep a motivational Pinterest board with inspirational sayings, affirmations, and prayers. I do look at it every morning um, when I wake up. So my routine is I like to get up in the morning, drink, I, I do drink coffee. So I'll drink coffee, look at, look at my Pinterest board, which I call daily hustle to get motivated. And that's what I do in the morning. And then in the end of the night, I watch religious, you know, programming with my family, um, which is a good way to spend time with my family and to decompress before, you know, at the end, at the end of the night after dinner. Yeah, what a beautiful way. And it's nice that technology is helping us now with 
more productive and mindful things as well. Definitely. Like the, the Pinterest and the YouTube videos, it's great. Uh, and you mentioned that you love reading. So what's your favorite book, that, something that had impact on the way you live and work? Mm -hmm. So mine is actually a very, very old book. It's several thousand years old. It's called The Art of War. <laughs> and that's, uh, it's by Sun Tzu, who's, uh, you know, a Chinese um, war philosopher, right? So it's, a, and it's actually a strategy book meant for military engagements, how to fight a war, of course, as you can tell by the title, The Art of War. But frankly, it's, it's been kind of reconstituted for um, the business world. Of course, it's been translated from Chinese. And a lot of what he talks about is applies to the business world when you're competing uh, in business with other people that want to get contracts that are going in and speaking with a customer. It can be very competitive. So sometimes you need to know when to prosecute things and sometimes you need to know when to fall back. <laughs> um, so if I need inspiration, if I'm faced with a business challenge, I like to reread it. I've read it many, many times. And uh, it's, in fact, it's sitting, I can see it right now. It's sitting right on my, right on my bookshelf, right in front of me. Okay. Can you share a couple of examples, like, or a principle that he teaches? Especially yeah. Um, especially, I think, for a woman in a workplace. So, yeah. More. So, um, so, yeah, it's a great book. And, and so it, it has a lot of gems in it. But, but one of the things that, says that really, you know, and I highlight and underline all through the book, one of the things that it says is um, basically pretty much translates into insecurities are loud. So if somebody is screaming, shouting, you know, because unfortunately that does still happen sometimes in <laughs> business meetings where somebody is, you know, grandstanding, right, or, or uh, you know, getting belligerent in a negotiation, it's because they're insecure. So when people behave that way. People who are secure don't, don't need to do that, right? So, and, and so when you're negotiating, just always stay calm, be professional. I can't control the behavior of others, but I can control my behavior. So I usually try to stay cool and calm if somebody is um, behaving in an unprofessional manner. So you don't react? Well, I feel like if I react, that gives them power, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, and, and I'll tell you, recently I did, I did have a meeting where somebody was, I would say, getting pretty emotional, and I really didn't. So I would say being a mother, when my sons were little, they used to throw a temper tantrum, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of, I mean, I don't want to be rude, but it's kind of the same thing. And so if so. I if I pay attention to your temper tantrum, then you're going to, you're going to get trained, right? That, mm -hmm. that um, it's okay to keep on to doing, to keep on doing that. So um, that's why sometimes I will just ignore or not react um, because I don't want to give people power by doing that. And also I kind of treat it like, okay, you're, you're having a temper tantrum right now. Um, I'm just going to kind of ignore you. Uh, and then when you're ready to, uh, you know, speak like a, like, like an adult, <laughs> right? right. Yes. Then we have a conversation. So that way you, if that happens, you know, frankly, the other person looks silly, you know, most of the time. And, and then, uh, and, and you still, you haven't, you know, stooped to their level. Right. And, yeah. and I'm not perfect. I do lose my temper sometimes, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah. I really, try. and there is no need to fuel the fire. By you reacting, the the whole emotional roller coaster will go on further, and it'll just become something more. So well, it's a distraction. Better right? to, it, yeah. It's a distract. When somebody behaves that way, I ask myself, I say, is that a, are they a factor in my success or failure right now in this moment? And ninety nine percent of the time, they're not. So I don't see the point in me reacting to somebody who. What if, it's, uh, what if it's someone a uh, really important stakeholder and your project is uh, on the line or yeah. the service you're um, giving a, as a contract is on the line? How, how to deal with that? Yeah, so then in that case, um, I like to listen to what they're saying and I want them to feel heard. So 
we always say if a customer is screaming at you and, and I have been, you know, I have been screamed at by customers for things that, you know, were not my fault. The customer even knew that when they were screaming at me, but you know, they just, they were frustrated. They needed mm -hmm. an outlet. They needed to, to feel vent. heard. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So, um, so I always try to make sure they feel heard. I listen, I spend a lot of time listening. And then when I'm sure, when I feel confident that they're done venting basically because I don't want to interrupt people when they're venting then I will say I'm glad that you gave me your feedback right mm -hmm. and I mean that uh, because if a customer is screaming at you they're still trying to work on the relationship and they're still trying to um, salvage it I think whereas when you really need to be scared is when a customer just goes dark or mm -hmm. just in general right so they always say it's like when they talk about marriages, I think they say it's actually healthier for couples to argue sometimes right. versus, you know, not if a couple doesn't argue at all, I think, uh, you know, and I'm not a, I'm they not, might not be talking. <laughs> there, may not be, there may be an even bigger problem because they may be checked out of, of the relationship. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not a marriage counselor or anything like that, but that's what I've read. So, right. uh, but, uh, but yeah, you got to make sure people feel heard and fully heard. And then, and then you can, you can thank them for their feedback. And then if you have solutions, you can try to offer solutions. Um, but, and then you've got to figure out how to resolve the problem. If you don't have a solution right there and then say, yeah, look, um, yeah, just say, you know, can you give me 24 hours and I'll get back to you and then get, make sure you get back to them. That's a very good advice. And I think it's like step by step. So <laughs> I personally can also use that. So in your life, uh, who is the most inspiring person for you and mm -hmm. that you followed? So my mother is my biggest inspiration. She has overcome a lot of, a lot of obstacles and only imagine <laughs> what it, what it was like. I mean, it's, it's, um, what it was like for women working so many, you know, years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so she was a professional woman back then. She was. And so I, I saw firsthand a lot of the things that she dealt with. I did. You know, she overcame a lot of obstacles and a lot of attitudes and, and, and things like that. She always handled it with grace and style. And um, she's very, very talented. And so I always try to honor her. Uh, when I work, uh, because I know that she had to go through a lot and she probably deserved more opportunities than she, than she got. Right. Yes. So then she received. So, so when I receive an opportunity, it's like both of us are receiving it. Is there anything specific that you can come up with from your childhood that shaped your experience here? Yeah. Um, so my uh, parents are immigrants from India. Um, you know, they're they're very they're very patriotic. They've been here since uh, my father's been here since 1964. So long, long, long time. time. And my mother came over in 1969. So they've been here a really long time. In fact, they've lived more of their lives in the United States, significantly more uh, than they have in India, because uh, they were very they were very young when they when they came over here. They consider themselves to be really privileged to to live here in the United States, and uh, so do I. You know, I don't think that everything is perfect, but at the same time, I do think that you know um, we consider the United States to be our home. I, I think it's an unmatched place for opportunities. Like I said, it, things are not always perfect all the time, but I, I don't I don't know of any place that is. Um, I do think we have, you know, I do think we live in the best nation in the world. And a lot of the opportunities that I receive today are due to my parents taking a huge risk and leaving a lot behind. So um, I think that that feeling of gratefulness is it's definitely ingrained um, within me. It's kept me pretty grounded in my professional and personal life. And I think hopefully it, it, it makes you more relatable when you're more grounded and makes you a better leader. You wanna make sure that, you know, I mean, you have that, that stereotypical leader that's got their head in the clouds and doesn't understand the, you know, the troops, if you will. But, um, you know, and nobody's perfect, but it's important to stay humble in that way. Um, I think what important is the intention. Yeah. 
So if you have the intent to be humble and to be empathetic, then you're going to follow up. That's how usually it works with, yeah. with your mind and the programming instead of your mind. So if you made the decision to be humble and, and to feel for people, then that's what you're going to be doing naturally. Yeah, and, and humbleness actually, I think, makes you more competitive um, because if you're arrogant, um, that's a downfall. Mm. And that can lead to, I mean, if you're over, over arrogant um, or overconfident, you're not able to anticipate um, a winding road ahead of you. Whereas if you're humble, I look at everybody as small businesses, large businesses. I, I don't ever underestimate the competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that keeps you on your toes <laughs> and yeah. that makes you better every day. So you don't just relax on and, and be like satisfied with the goal that has been achieved in the state. And yeah. I see that you've already got your uh, ISO certificate and uh, licensing. It's really great to see that you're developing in so many ways. Yeah, we always have to be pursuing excellence. I think um, the world has really changed, right? So I think back in the day, we mostly had, a, you know, a very strong domestic economy um, uh, and, and people had jobs for life. And then when they retired, they got a pension. And of course, you know, those days are over um, yeah. for better or for worse, right? So, so we've got increased competition due to globalization um, that's a big thing. And we have, I mean, we're really in the gig economy now, like I kind of alluded to earlier, where we're the hairdresser. Um, it's, it's good to stay loyal to your company, but it's good to be constantly improving yourself. And then I think technology is making the change of pace much more rapid. Um, I mean, you know, some of the emerging technologies that we see right now, you know, they, they're, they're going to change the game for us. And, and it's, it's a lot to keep up with. So it's good to just stay on your toes, stay, try to stay current, try to stay active. Any type of continuing education classes, even if they're online, even if they're just mm -hmm. podcasts, anything like that, just keeping yeah. up. It, it's, it's, it's a good thing because being complacent is, you know, not to be overdramatic, but being complacent is what's going to get you eaten alive. <laughs> to All right. That's so, that's so, um, timely that you mentioned about online education classes and the podcasts. So <clears throat> my idea for this podcast is um, to grow into a, a, a free education platform mm. where people from all over the world, first of all, can contribute and uh, teach and contribute and create content or even refer content, which is already like tons and tons on the internet. But I want this platform to be a place where it's curated, centralized, and it's really focused. Because if you're gonna start Googling and going, and there's a lot of ads, so it's very hard to find. I mean, it's, it's possible, but it will take you a lot of time to find really good content for free. So uh, my idea for this podcast and the platform to really have a centralized place for everything to be there and for people to just learn and share for free because like you said the knowledge in your head is something that you earned and no one can take it away from you that sounds great Anara. I, I completely agree with you that it is very hard um to find good free content um, on podcasts and things like that. And, and, and so there are some hidden gems on there, but you have to sift through quite a bit. So I'm definitely looking forward to learning more about your educational marketplace um, uh, when, when you are ready to launch it. So uh, thank you for your time, Sonia. And as the last question for today, uh, I just want um, to get one more advice for the small business owners on how to get started in the government contracting space? Mm -hmm. um, I would start by going to the Small Business Administration, which is SBA website. Um, SBA is fantastic, uh, fantastic resource uh, for 
for uh, entrepreneurs that are looking to start their own small businesses. Um, and small businesses really are the lifeblood of the United States. So um, they have a lot of resources on there. They have um, specialists that you can, you can probably go and speak with, your local SBA office, um, lots of great content, articles, lessons learned, advice, and it's all free. So, um, so I would say definitely uh, check, out, check out SBA. Um, if I were to give my personal advice, I would say um, think about all the things that you are going to need in order to get into um, a government contracting business. So you're more than likely going to need um, a trusted relationship with an accountant, a trusted relationship with a lawyer, a trusted relationship with a good contracts person that understands government contracting, things like that. Think about the discriminators and strategy for your business because it's a it's a pretty glutted market. Um, so you've got to really make sure that you um, clearly define your strategy and what your value proposition is to customers and partners. Um, so uh, so yeah, but absolutely, I would I would definitely encourage um, you know uh, owners or people that are thinking about starting a small business. I would certainly encourage them to to at least start start with the SBA website. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, thank you so much. This podcast today, this conversation was full of um, uh, wisdom and humbleness. And uh, <laughs> I, I really had a good time talking to you. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Anar. It was, it was such a pleasure um, speaking with you. And, and I'm excited definitely to, to hear the other guests, you know, on, on your podcast. So thanks so much for um, offering great content to uh, to the community. Appreciate that.